0: Good morning. This is a late start, at least for the podcast, because I've already walked quite a bit, and uh, I was thinking intensively. Instead of talking about it, I was just thinking in my mind. It's 6.50 in the morning. I'm already halfway through the city, but I do have some things to share with my friends on the interwebs. So, I was thinking about Vlad. He said how all intuition and all forms are illusions. That's quite some deep insight. And, um, (coughs) that makes me think and I haven't reached the end of it. I was thinking about detachment and also if our thoughts are attached to our bodies and if we should take pity on ourselves, have some sympathy for ourselves or not. And also I noticed my mind wandering quite a bit. So I obviously have more work to do on self-discipline. So, but that's not really what you came here to hear about, about me taking pity on myself. Because I'm sure you can have enough pity on yourself that you don't need to pity me either as well. How much pity do we need to have go around? And, um... Yeah, 7 o'clock, I have to start heading back to get to work. So we should have another hour of just you and me time to talk. (coughs) So... I have uh, been playing with the notebook for Haskell so I got that to compile and basically a Jupyter notebook is a code evaluation system where you can type in lines of code or add them to an existing program and then you can re-evaluate them. Now, this is not much different than the um, Glasgow Haskell Compiler Interactive, the G-H-C-I, which allows you to interactively add new statements. And actually, that is more powerful because it has a whole bunch of extra commands like colon something or other that you don't have in the notebook. The notebook has some cool features to it. The one is, it will automatically save your data. It'll save all the things you typed in. And I'm sure Emacs will do that. Well, I mean, sure you could do that in GHCI, but in the notebook, you have them in a form that's readily handy. So that's actually one advantage. Um, You can reevaluate them at any time. And then you can spit out Haskell code from the notebook as well, and then compile it now i haven't gotten it to use the pedantic mode but it also offers some refactoring hints it's like well you wrote this but why don't you think about writing it this way so it recognizes and teaches you some coding style as well which is pretty cool so i'm having a lot of fun with that and um I'm thinking about an interactive system now. So here's the thought experiment for you guys to ponder. I've got a big, I've got a user interface, let's say, that's rendered. And it's got this big dial on it with one parameter. And this one parameter is just gonna be some like depth or some something some one parameter you can adjust. And um, <clears throat> there's gonna be one function that's called, so basically you load in a JSON data blob from the compiler, or you load in a, a dump file from the compiler. Um, and then you can Feed that JSON data, that big blob of data, a graph of nodes, you can feed that to a function which will interpret it and produce some output and it'll take in an extra parameter which is the blob, not the blob, the dial, and that'll adjust how the execution is done. Okay, so function takes. Two parameters a blob that represents the entire program that you're evaluating and then one parameter from the user which is like let's say the depth that you want to evaluate it to and the output is going to be some graph or some chart or some user interface element That, um, let's see, some user interface element that, um, will be displayed on the GUI. So now the challenge here, the challenge, is that you're going to want to adjust the knob and do re uh, and change the uh, calculation somehow, but you want to save the existing calculations as much as possible. So, the user will be twiddling with bits in the front end, and you don't want to have to recompute everything. So that's the challenge that I'm having right now with Haskell, being a pure functional language. Um, how do you create curries, I guess they're called curries, of function instantiations that are saved over time and reeval not will not be recomputed. So that's the question I have. Will they have to be recomputed or not? Um, So, and then let's throw in some other things. Um, We have this function that takes all of this JSON data. So I'm thinking, well, hey, can we change how it's um, computed and generate code? Let's say we can emit some Haskell code that represents uh, the JSON blob in a different way, and then we can run that. Because what I'm thinking is, if I have a description of a program, um, at some point I could actually make this entire thing functional, up to a certain point, some of the um, some of the uh, evaluation of the trees or the actual execution of the program could be considered to be directly represented as a functional uh, function in Haskell. And maybe we can compile the code down to that and then feed it to the Haskell compiler, Haskell compiler. So these are the things that I'm considering or do we just interpret it in memory? But uh, I definitely think we could have a function that takes the entire blob in and then some parameters from the user interface and then computes all types of outputs all in parallel basically or you know produces a bunch of outputs then that could then be displayed on a screen Um, so that's kind of what the model is that I have right now um, of a uh, functional static batch type situation that's not really interactive yet so the more we learn about Haskell uh, the more we're going to learn about how to create interactivity and how to cache intermediate results and whether or not we have to generate code or can we create domain specific languages So these are the things that I'm thinking about. Um, That will require some more consideration, but I wanted to just present them as problems to be thought about. I'm trying to state the problem. Okay, so that's problem number one. Now, here's the other thing I've been thinking about. If we have a core system, a closed world, and um, we present everything as invariant, right? So we have a system that's compiling itself. We get into this interactive problem again because the code of the system that I'm compiling will change over time and it will change into ways that I do not expect. So that if we treat everything as an invariant then no change will be possible even if we compile all the old versions in, right? And we say, except the possibilities of all these old versions, there still will be no new version because that will be the variant. So you'll be stuck with a core system that cannot imagine a newer version. Now, <clears throat> So, we're going to want to allow for variations on certain areas. And this is where we get, and this is where we get into the entire issue again of the um, halting problem. So, this is a new form of halting problem, really, which is... Even if you have an existing system, an existing code, um, how do you, and it's a closed world, how would you actually change anything and compile anything new? So you can't hard code everything, okay? Not everything is an invariant. Some things will be variants. And the question is which things are variant, and you really can't predict which things are gonna be variant and invariant. Because you can't predict what is a bug or what has to be changed. Now, sure, we can use all types of statistical modeling and um, collect past probabilities, conditional probabilities of what was um, and also what changed, and the probability of this thing changing. And we can look at what things changed how fast in the past. but that doesn't really give you an indication of how they will change in the future. So, I think we've reached a point where we can say that the closed world won't solve the problem. It'll give you something to compute, but it won't protect you Against the future. It won't protect you against the future because you don't know what the future is going to be. And if the future is another programmer, and the programmer can introduce all types of crazy shit in which you cannot expect, and that complexity can be enormous. So, You have to respect the complexity of the future programmers. So let's just say that's rule number two. Um, Rule number two is even a closed world will only give you what has happened but it won't allow for what will happen and cannot predict what will happen. so that you don't know which ones are variants and which ones are invariants. So you're back to the problem. You're back to a problem of prediction. Now <clears throat> with this dial we could calculate all different values of what the dial could be, what the output could be under different dial values, and present all of those to the user. And then when they switch on the dial, they would just switch between the different outputs. right? So pre-calculate everything, and then hope to Hope to cache the results yourself and say, well, I've calculated this part for value one, now let's calculate it for value two, but let's try and reuse some of the um, previous work. Like a recursion if that's possible. so that's an interesting way of thinking about it, but then we're going to get into the question of, what if we don't want to wait to calculate everything, and what if the dial is how long the user wants to wait, like the depth. Yeah, so we're kind of getting into some um, interesting questions. (sighs) All right. Well, I am also excited to hear more about Vapnik, and I'm happy to see we had five uh, listeners yesterday. So, um... I'm going to take a break, grab a fresh coffee, and then uh, for the rest of our walk, we're going to uh, try and do clips from Vapnik, finish off that interview. Let's see if we can glean anything more from our Russian friend Vlad, (laughs) whose command of the English language is poor at best. All right, let's give it up for Vlad. Okay, so now he's going to try and explain to us um, how this works, that you have a function that coincides with your model. So the functions that you choose will match the model, but you have any function. So you have a humongous, infinite set of functions. And he's saying, well, the duck, how does it jump like a duck? We can remove that. And um, you have a generic function, looks like, and then you have another specialized function, looks like a duck, and that will help you. That's the intelligence part of the system, and that will help you um, guide your, guide your work.
1: Consideration. So, so how, what's the process of doing that? I mean, it's fascinating. What is the process of creating this? um admissible set of functions that is invariant that's invariance can you yeah. describe invariance yeah you you you're looking answer. of properties of training data and uh, properties means that you uh, have some function and you 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 just count what is value average value of function on training data <coughs> you have model and what is the expectation of this function on the model mm-hmm. and they should coincide so the the problem is about how to pick up functions it can be any function it uh, in, in, in fact it, it, it is true for all functions but because when I' talking that uh, say um, duck does not jumping. Mm -hmm. So you don't ask questions, jump like a duck, because it is trivial, it doesn't jump, it doesn't help you to recognize jump. But you know something, which question to ask, and you're asking, it swims like a a duck. But looks like a duck at this general situation. Mm -hmm. Looks like, say, guy who has this illness, this disease, it, it is legal. Yeah. So there is a, a general type of predicate looks like, yeah. and specific, special type of predicate, which related to this specific problem. And that is intelligence part of all this business, and that's where teachers is involved. Incorporating the specialized predicates. Uh, yeah. Okay. What do you think?
0: Okay. Now here, Vlad is going to destroy deep learning. And he's basically gonna say that deep learning and that features are fantasies. And that people are appealing to the brain, but they know nothing about the brain. Um, If they wanna say that it's a piecewise linear function, then say that, but they don't know anything about mathematics. And that they're basing um, everything in interpretations, which again are fantasy. So fantasy in, fantasy out is basically what this guy's saying. And he's telling you to go back and do your math. So I think this is one of the most important clips. <laughs> I have to share this individual clip with someone. You know who you are.
1: Operating those specialized predicates. Uh, yeah. Okay. What do you think about deep learning as as um, neural networks? These arbitrary architectures as helping accomplish some of the tasks you're thinking about their effectiveness or lack thereof. What are what are the weaknesses and what are the possible strengths? You know, I think that this is fantasy. Everything, which like deep learning, like features. Let me give you this example. Uh, one of the greatest books, this Churchill book about history of Second World War. Mm-hmm. And he's starting this book describing that in all time, when war is over, so the great kings they gathered together. Almost all of them were relatives and they discussed what should be done Have to create peace, and they came to agreement. And when happened First World War, the general public came in power, and they were so greedy that robbed Germany. Mm-hmm. And it was clear for everybody that it is not peace, that peace will last only 20 years because they was not professionals. And the same I see in machine learning. There are mathematicians who are looking for the problem from a very deep point of view, mathematical point of view. And there are uh, computer scientists Mm -hmm. who mostly does not know mathematics. They just have interpretation of that. And Mm -hmm. they invented a lot of blah, blah, blah interpretations like deep learning. Why you did deep learning? Mathematics does not know deep learning. Mathematics does not know uh, neurons. It is just function. Just if you function, like yeah. to say piecewise linear function, say that. And do in, in class of piecewise linear function. But they invent something. And then they try to, 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 to prove advantage of that through interpretations, That's which mostly wrong. And when it's it, it not enough, they, they appeal to brain, which they know nothing about that. Nobody knows what's going on in the brain so i think
0: okay so he's going to say that he's going to challenge people to solve these deep learning problems with a hundred times less data and he's saying that these deep learning algorithms are using zillions zillions and zillions of data sets and that's why they're even working at all so we're using too much data, we're wasting too many resources on our um, fantasies, basically, and interpretations. That's the message from Vlad. So do more with less, use your brain, and uh, <clears throat> figure out your invariants. That's the message of the day. We're going to be wrapping up this show real soon. I'm almost home, we might be able to fit in one more clip. Let's see what we can do.
1: Even more, I would say that if they use deep learning, it is not the most effective way of learning theory. And usually, when people use deep learning, they're using zillions of training data. Yeah, Yeah. but you don't need this. So I describe challenge, can we do some problems which do well, deep learning method? This deep net, uh, using hundred times less training data, even more.
0: So now he's going to say that there is an equivalency between a deep network with billions of or gazillions of data and an equivalent, um, an acceptable uh, function generator. So basically, we're creating a set of acceptable fu- acceptable functions um, from this input data but he's also saying that there might not be a good function in there, I think. Um, It's really kind of garbled what he's saying. I'm trying to interpret it, um, but it's very difficult.
1: Using 100 times less training data. Even more, some problems deep learning cannot solve because it's not necessary. They create admissible set of functions to create Deep architecture means to create admissible set of functions. You cannot say that you're creating good admissible set of functions. You're just, it's your fantasy. It does not come from math, But it is possible to create admissible set of functions because you have your training data. It actually...
0: Okay, so this is going to be our final clip for today. And I'll tell you where we left off at, um, i tell you in a second, the time code in the Vlad podcast. Let's see. We're at 30 minutes. We're roughly halfway through more than half. We're at 30 minutes here. So, really, we have a long way to go for Vlad to impale us on, <laughs> on the theory of mathematics and his anti-spiritualism. But, uh, good morning. But I'm quite interested in finding out uh, what's going to happen. So, um, Yeah, this is uh, great. So, basically, he's saying he's going to repeat himself a couple of times, but he's basically saying now that you've got the theory of large numbers if you have your um, invariance, and if you don't have it, the old way is the uniform theory of large numbers, which is much higher. And he's saying that we can use weak conversions as opposed to conversions and we're going to reduce our training set. So basically he's pimping out his new theory he just came up with and published the other day relative to when this was recorded. This is an older podcast. Um, Let's see when this thing was actually recorded. It's like at the very tail end of my my podcast download list because I've been This is November 16, 2018, so yeah, two years ago uh, this was recorded, and we're gonna have to do some more research, but it's really intriguing that we can skip all of our illusions and uh, all of our fantasias and get right to the math of things, Um, discard all of our fancy interpretations (laughs) Now Lex, Lex is not really going deep into what this guy is saying. He's just hurt, he's just butthurt a little bit, I think, because he's being directly, all of his fantasies and romantisms are being uh, smashed by Vlad the Impaler, and um, I think a lot of people will be offended by this, but since I am not a um, subscriber, I haven't drank in my own Kool-Aid. I haven't drinking the Kool-Aid of the Deep Learning yet, I think, but I do love, I do love me an interpretation. And I guess the interpretations are the narratives, you know, everyone talks about, oh yeah, the narrative. Well, maybe the interpretation is the narrative. Well, Vlad will smash your narrative, let me tell you. All right. well, I think um, that's it for today, we're gonna to close out with this clip. I hope you have a great day. This was a short podcast, but I hope it was more effective for me to actually think through my shit instead of talking through all of it. Um, Makes for a shorter podcast, less blathering. So, give me a thumbs up. Oh, I saw a great feature. You can, uh, if you go to uh, um, stanchor.fm/stre, you can actually just click there and leave me a voicemail. And you can also install the app and subscribe. Um, to give me a thumbs up. I know it's a piece of shit, and Anchor's got a really bad name, and I'm gonna have to move away from it. I'm already thinking about, I talked about that in the last episode, we're gonna set up a little bot to do post-processing of this. And, um, yeah, that'd be cool to have our, actually, a second feed um, with a cleaned up version. So, uh, yeah, and I should actually go in and, um, redact, uh, I should apply, see, this is what I really need. I need a function that will go in and find all the politically incorrect statements in my podcast and just censor them out so I don't have to feel so bad about, um, ...being attacked by the, uh... ...by the goon squad. I should make a separate... ...well, I should just remove them. Because, um... ...being an internet hate generator is just opening yourself up for attack and censorship. So, you gotta censor yourself. So, um... Maybe that'll be a project one day to go in and clean up my act and make myself family safe for when I redo this podcast on a different platform. And then I should collect all my examples of hate and then rework them to be more gentle and provide more perspective into why I said those things Um, and uh, not be so harsh. Oh, look at that, Uh, fishing rod. Okay, guys, see you later.
1: Admissible set of functions because you have your training data. Actually, for mathematicians, uh, when you consider invariant, you need to use law of large numbers. When you're making training, in existing algorithm, you need uniform law of large numbers, mm-hmm. which is much more difficult, it requires VC dimension and all this stuff. But nevertheless, if you use both weak and stroke way of convergence, you can decrease a lot of training data. Yeah, you could do the, the three, the swims like a duck uh, and quacks like a duck. Yeah, yeah. But